Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast presents Stories from the Cabin, a storytelling podcast within a podcast, featuring tales from the countries and cultures whose people make up the diverse region we know as Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobbick. Hey folks, welcome to this special bonus episode of Stories from the Cabin. Over the past couple months, as I'm sure you've heard me complain about several times, I had a really crummy job and I finally just got out of it exactly one week ago today. So I wanted to celebrate that fact by giving you a nice little collection of news clippings from various North Carolina newspapers about strange creatures seen throughout the country and the world. As you can tell by the sound of my voice, I'm doing much better now that I am ungainfully unemployed and spending my days doing house chores that didn't get done over the past two months and obviously job hunting. I honestly couldn't be happier. I guess that's not true. I could probably have a job that makes me happy and pays me very well with benefits, but you know, one thing at a time. I'm doing really well and thank you all to those who helped me get through the past couple of months, especially making that huge decision of leaving a job immediately that was incredibly toxic, unhealthy, and unsafe. The stories today come from a book I got from friend of the show, John Hold My Beer Ochoa. It's called Monsters in Print, a collection of curious creatures known mostly from newspapers, researched and compiled by Adam Benedict. Now, Adam Benedict is the founder and researcher of the Pine Barrens Institute website. It's a collection of accounts and articles and studies in cryptozoology. It's an amazing website. The links to this book and his website will be in the show notes. So with all that out of the way and my yammering done, let's get to the stories. A Man-Eating Plant The Democrat, August 18th, 1892, North Carolina Naturalist Dunstan saves a poor dog which was caught. Horticultural Times There has been discovered in Nicaragua a flesh-eating or rather man-eating plant, which is called by the natives the Devil's Snare. In form, it is a kind of vegetable octopus or devilfish, and it is able to draw blood of any living creature which comes within its clutches. It appears that Mr. Dunstan, a naturalist, has lately returned from Central America, where he spent two years in the study of plants and animals of those regions. In one of the swamps which has surrounded the great Nicaragua lake, he discovered this singular growth. He was engaged in hunting for botanical and entomological specimens when he heard his dog cry out as if in agony from a distance. Running to the spot whence the animal's cries came, Mr. Dunstan found him enveloped in a perfect network of what seemed to be a fine, rope-like tissue of roots and fibers. The plant, or vine, seemed composed entirely of bare interlacing stems, resembling, more than anything else, the branches of the weeping willow denuded of its foliage, but of a dark, nearly black hue, and covered with a thick, viscous gum that exuded from its pores. Drawing his knife, Mr. Dunstan attempted to cut the poor beast free, but it was with the very greatest difficulty that he managed to sever the fleshy muscular fibers of the plant. Mr. Dunstan saw, to his horror and amazement, that the dog's body was blood-stained, while the skin appeared to have been actually sucked or puckered in spots and the animal staggered as if from exhaustion. In cutting the vine, the twigs curled like sinuous fingers around Mr. Dunstan's hand, and it required no slight force to free the member from its clinging grasp, which left the flesh red and blistered. 
The gum exuding from the vine was of a grayish dark tinge, remarkably adhesive and of disagreeable odor, powerful and nauseating to inhale. The natives showed the greatest horror of the plant and recounted to the naturalist many stories of its death-dealing powers. Mr. Dunstan said he was able to discover very little about the nature of the plant owing to the difficulty of handling it, for its grasp can only be shaken off with the loss of skin and even flesh. As near as he could ascertain, however, its power of suction is contained in a number of infinitesimal mouths, or little suckers, which ordinarily closed, open for the reception of food. If the substance is animal, the blood is drawn off and the carcass or refuse then dropped. A lump of raw meat being thrown in, in the short space of five minutes, the blood will be thoroughly drunk off and the mass thrown aside. Its veracity is almost beyond belief. Claim Canada has race of monster men. The Times News, October 9th, 1935, North Carolina. Settlers near Vancouver describe hairy giants roaming there. Vancouver, British Columbia, October 9th, UP. Sasquatch men, remnants of a lost race of wild men, who inhabited the rocky regions of British Columbia centuries ago, are reported roaming the province again. After an absence of several months from the district of Harrison Mills, 50 miles east of Vancouver, the long, weird, wolf-like howls of the wild men are being heard again, and two of the hairy monsters were reported seen in the Morris Valley on the Harrison River. Residents in the district tell of seeing the two giants leaping and bounding out of the forest and striding across the duck-feeding ground, wallowing now and again the bog and mire in long, waving swamp grasses, reported agile as goats. The strange men, it was reported, after emerging from the woods, came leaping down the jagged rocky hillside with the agility and lightness of mountain goats. Snatches of their wild language floated on the breeze across the lake to the pioneer settlement at the foot of the hills. The giants walked with an easy gait across the swamp flats, and at the Morris Creek, in the shallow of Little Mystery Mountain, straddled a floating log, which they propelled with their long, hairy hands and huge feet across the sluggish, glacial stream to the opposite side. There they abandoned the log and climbed hand over hand up the almost perpendicular cliff at a point known as Gibraltar and disappeared into the wooded wilderness at the top of the ridge. They carried two large clubs and walked round a herd of cattle directly in their path. Indians' Story Retold The return of the giants to the legendary stronghold of the Sasquatch monsters recalls the narrow escape of an Indian at the same spot last March. A huge rock narrowly missed his canoe while he was fishing, and looking up, he said he saw a huge hairy monster stamping his feet and gesticulating wildly. The Indian escaped by cutting his fishing tackle and paddling away. The same Indian declares the Sasquatch twice have stolen salmon, which he tied in a tree outside his house, out of reach of dogs. The latest appearance of the monsters was peaceful. They avoided the trails usually used by the people of the valley and molested neither cattle nor human beings. People who have reported seeing the giants on their rare appearances describe them as ferocious-looking wild men, nine feet tall and covered from head to toes with thick black hair. Scotchmen chase huge sea monster. The Wilmington Morning Star, July 20th, 1945, North Carolina. 
strange aquatic animal had five-foot head, two sailors report. Newcastle-on-Tyne, England, July 19th, UP. A sea monster, the likes of which has not been seen since pre-war days, was spotted Tuesday in the sea off the mouth of the Tyne. Two Scots operating a salvage steamer through binoculars saw the monster moving against the tide at a fast clip. It was huge, with a head and neck of six feet and a back almost ten feet broad. Salvage officer John Hamilton of Edinburgh was the first to spot something bobbing six feet out of the water about a quarter of a mile away. He called skipper Lowney of Kincardine, who immediately put off in a motor launch with two of the crew in pursuit of this strange new creature. We chased the monster for five or ten minutes, but it kept well ahead of us, said Lowney. What we took to be its head and neck was five or six feet above the surface of the water, and its back was eight to ten feet across. But try as they could, the pursuers could not get closer to the monster, and soon it disappeared completely. We never saw it again, but we are all of the opinion it was a sea monster of some kind, said Lowney. Three Swedes report seeing two monsters. Stockholm, July 19th, UP. A parson's wife and a local policeman saw two sea monsters near the seaport of Ume yesterday. Only a fortnight after an amphibious monster with three huge bumps on its back was spotted at a lake outside Storsjö. The witnesses said they saw two heads which they first believed to be those of swimmers. When the heads suddenly disappeared and a tail and fin emerged a few seconds later, they decided they had seen a sea monster, last seen in 1943, when a group of amateur anglers tried to catch it. One member of the same party has already left for Ume to try his luck again. The monster at Storsjö, which reportedly crawled onto the bank and disappeared into the underbrush, made its appearance about ten years ago. Reward posted for sea myth. The Wilmington Morning Star, March 9th, 1947, North Carolina. Fishermen claim Monster of Deep has a fin 30 feet long. Seattle, March 9th, UP. They put a price on the head of the Puget Sound's sea serpent today, but it wasn't likely to be collected. $5,000, dead or alive, was the reward posted by aquarium owner Ivar Haugland for the sea beast called the Madrona Sea Monster that was sighted for the fourth time in two weeks today in state of Washington waters. When spotted today, Madrona was fleeing Puget Sound. With fishermen and boatmen alerted by the wanted notices, he was blowing the country, the waters, too hot for him. Photographer A.L. Thompson saw the monster early this morning moving through Juan de Fuca Straits, one half mile off Edith's Hook today, and Arlene Ray, wife of the manager of the local salmon club, spotted it through binoculars from her home on the Edith's Hook spit. Thompson's two-cylinder outboard motor was no match for the speed of the jumped, three-finned thing that is estimated to be more than 30 feet long, possibly 60 feet. Madrona submerged before Thompson could get within camera range. I watched Thompson take chase, but he never gained, said Mrs. Ray. Nobody has a complete conception of what Madrona looked like because all they have ever seen of him is his black, humped back, 30 feet of it. Nobody knows whether he has claws, teeth, or breathes fire in the best tradition of the monsters depicted in the unknown seas of Christopher Columbus's navigation charts. And there you have it, a few little news clips from various North Carolina newspapers about weird beasts and sea creatures seen throughout the United States and the world.
I hope you enjoyed today's bonus episode as much as I loved telling it. If you did, you could always let me know through email at appfolklorepod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, and I just got onto threads, so you can find me over there at appfolklorepod as well. If you wanted to support the show, as a few folks have, you could hit me up at ko-fi.com slash appfolklorepod, and I would be eternally grateful for your support. The main episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast for September 1st has been edited, done and dusted, so you can expect to see that here shortly. And I will have another main episode of Stories from the Cabin on the 15th that I am working on recording and editing today, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you all again so much for your support, for your kind words, and helping me get through the past few months. It was a rough one, but as you can tell by the sound of my voice, I'm a lot better. I'm a lot happier. So thank you all. And until next time, y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to rate and review this show on whatever platform you use, I'd be much obliged as it helps spread the word. You can email me at appfolklorepod at gmail.com and visit my website shows.acast.com slash AFP. You can find me at appfolklorepod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find me on Mastodon at appfolklorepod at thefolklore.cafe. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the AFP cover art. You can find his work on Instagram at inkwellgraphicdesign. Thanks again for listening.